Noise. Noise is one of those things that's just all around us. In fact, you know, right now it's getting harder and harder to find a place where there isn't the hum of some sort of man-made noise, or the hum of a refrigerator and the, the parts of your house or the electric lines going over the highway or through the woods or, or a jet flying over the top or the, the wind being broken by the cars on the freeway in the, in the far-off distance. It is harder and harder to find a place of just silence. You know, there's a researcher whose name is Gordon Hempton who has been studying the disappearing sound of nature for, for decades. Hempton is now 66 and has been recording endangered natural soundscapes around the world for more than 37 years. And uh, he likes to say, you know, the earth is like a solar-powered jukebox because there's all this noise that, that's sort of naturally occurring in the world around us. He actually made a documentary called The Vanishing Dawn Chorus, and it won an Emmy in 1992, so a while ago. <laughs> but noise is actually proven to, to be harmful, and that, that's the thing. Unnatural sounds, man-made sounds, actually raise anxiety and stress. Matter of fact, right now, presently, there's a big battle that's going on in the Puget Sound about the hum of, of ships and their motors b below the surface of the water, that it disorients whales and then it causes uh, damage. And so there's a, a big movement to try and curtail the amount of noise that's allowed in the harbor uh, for migrating whales. But not just animals, but also, also humans. It's found to raise blood pressure, uh, increase heart disease. It's been linked to low birth rates. Noise is a really interesting thing. And we've become so accustomed to it that we hardly even notice the impact that it has on us. Except in those moments where you're in your home, right? Where maybe the kids are playing video games or the TV's too loud and you're trying to concentrate or focus on something and the anxiety level just like starts climbing just a little bit at a time and you feel the stress of it. You're like, oh, what is making me so stressed? Oh, it's the sound in the background. It's the things going on behind me. Now, we've become so accustomed to it and so addicted to it that we have anxiety on both sides. When, when there's a bunch of noise, it raises anxiety, but when it gets too quiet, that also causes a different type of anxiety because we're used to having noise of some sort, something going on in the background. So think of that moment, like have you ever been Christmas tree cutting in the snow? When the snow's falling really, really heavy, you know snow, snow is sort of a, a noise dampener. And you think about that moment where you're in the woods and it's like eerily quiet. So quiet, you're like, am I hearing everything? Something wrong? Like something could sneak up on me here in the woods, right? I would never even know. I would never, I can't hear anything. Now, matter of fact, movies 
uh, have really harnessed this power. Producers have, have noticed that a lack of noise also produces anxiety because we're so uh, addicted to it. We're so used to it. A lot of people can't even drive in their cars without a radio on or something else going on, some background noise. They just can't deal with the silence. And so movies uh, have, have really harnessed this power. And whenever they want to build anxiety in a scene, you know what they do? They cut the sound. Right? And there's the suspense. It's like, okay, there's no, it's supposed to be a soundtrack playing, what's going on? All of a sudden, like our attention is drawn inward to focus. We become highly attuned and acute in our hearing, trying to figure out what is coming and where is it coming from. Well, I think that that is what is happening here in this moment in history. Here in our text. I think that's what God did for the nation of Israel after the prophet Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet of the Old Testament. And for 400 years, God has not been speaking in Israel. There's been no prophet saying, thus saith the Lord. There's been nobody on behalf of God speaking God's heart to his people for 400 years. Think about that. That's twice the age of our present country, right? It's a significant amount of time. For 400 years, there has been no one saying, thus saith the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord. And it's significant that at this moment, Malachi has left off with the final prophecy pointing to a time when the forerunner and the Messiah will come. The forerunner being the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And one day, Zechariah is in the temple. Zechariah is a priest of the house of Abijah, and he's a Levite, and he drew the lot to take care of things within the temple. And so I don't know what he's doing. He's doing priestly duties, right? He's, he's like t- changing out the table of showbread or trimming the wicks on the candle, sweeping the floor. I, I don't know. But he's in there, and he's by himself, and he's in the house of the Lord, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up, the angel Gabriel. And he tells him, hey, Zachariah, I've got good news for you. Even though you're kind of an old dude, and you're you know, well past the, the childbearing years, and your wife, Elizabeth, has been barren for all this time, you're going to have a child. And this child is the one that Malachi was talking about. He's the forerunner. He's the one who comes to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's the one who's, who's, who's going to unite the hearts of fathers with the, the sons, and, they, and they're going to receive the Messiah. He's going to be the one that, that does that. Now, all of a sudden, after such a long period of silence, God is speaking, and he's saying, it's time. This is the moment. This is the moment God's been waiting for, Right? The moment that, that predates creation itself. Back when it was just the Trinity, just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they made a covenant with one another to create and redeem the world before the foundations of the earth. It's the cosmic gospel. Predates creation itself. And then as soon as the world was created... 
From the very moment that it was created and sin entered in, God said, I've already accounted for this. I've already planned for this. I'm going to crush the head of the enemy. I'm going to deliver God, my people through, through the, the seed of a woman. The, the deliverance is coming. I already have this under control. It's already under wraps. And this is the moment. God's paused. He's waited. It's been silent. And anticipation is building. You see, there is this oppressive government that has, that has been ruling over the people and, and taking advantage of them and expressing their power in, 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 in ways that don't seem reasonable. In fact, in the next chapter, we're, we're told that Mary and Joseph, in, in the ninth month of her pregnancy, have to make this arduous journey to the town of Bethlehem because of the, other, because of the orders of a governor. Sound familiar? Inconvenient? And these, this evil power is, is using its influence in ways that don't seem right. And all the while, God is using every decision they make to bring about the perfect circumstance for the birth of his son. <laughs> and God is speaking again. And God is working again. After 400 years of silence, God is moving again. And he's not just speaking in one place. He's speaking in all over the place. He, he starts out with Zechariah in the temple. And then in verse 26, we read that Gabriel makes his way to a little town called Nazareth. In verse 26. By the way, before we, we, we go down this road and we, we start to break down Mary's story, I want to give you some file folders by which you can kind of organize some of the thoughts here. There are really kind of three acts in this play that will unfold in, in what is taking place in the scene here. The first one is the announcement to Mary in verses 26 through 38. The announcement to Mary. For those of you who are note takers, that's kind of the first file folder. The second one is verses 39 to 45, the confirmation for Mary. God's confirmation for Mary. So 26 to 38, the announcement to Mary. 39 to 45, the confirmation for Mary. And then 46 to 56, we have the response of Mary. So looking at this announcement, the angel comes on the scene. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is 15 miles uh, from Galilee, and it's six miles from any major road. It is um, like wonder, right? It's a, it's a small, tiny, podunk town in the middle of nowhere. Backwater by any estimation of the surrounding cities. Insignificant. Matter of fact, when I, I, I did a tour of Israel a decade or so ago, and, and while we're, we're driving, we're driving in the tour bus, and the, the tour guide says, hey, look, there's, there's Nazareth. And I was like, cool, are we going to stop? He goes, no, nah, we're not going to stop there. I'm like, why is that? Because you see that church right there? That church actually covers the entire city of Nazareth. That, the whole thing is just, there's no, you can't see any of the archaeology. It's like covered by a, a building. <laughs> Very small town, village, right? Think, 
incredibly small. And so everybody knows each other, very tight relationships. Everybody's acquainted with one another. It had only one well, and that, the well wasn't very good. So as a consequence of that, not very many people live there. It could only support a few lives. Well, the angel Gabriel is sent from God to the city of Galilee. Um, it's significant here that Gabriel is the one who comes to the city of Nazareth because, remember, Gabriel is the one who also came to Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 8. And, and Daniel was given this vision of these successive kingdoms, and Gabriel comes to break it down and tell him, hey, look, these kingdoms that are coming are all going to come, but then will come the Messiah and his kingdom, and his kingdom will last forever. It'll fill up the earth, and it'll, it'll, it'll last forever and ever. There'll be no end to his rule, no end to his reign. And so now Gabriel, who told Daniel that this was the kingdom that was coming, is now here presently with Zechariah in, in, in the first part of the first chapter, and now he's visiting Mary to say that kingdom and that king are here presently, right now. It's happening. This is it. This is the moment. So we have the announcement to Mary. So in the sixth hour, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Mary uh, is betrothed. She's not married at the moment. She's engaged, you could say, uh, to a man who, whose name was Joseph. And, and it mentions here in the text that he was of the house of David. This is important because of, of Mary's connection to Joseph, by right, then Jesus would have rights to the house of David, that he could be the descendant of David, both on his mother's side, because she also was a descendant of David, and on the father's side, on Joseph's side, because he was a descendant of David. He would have the right to rule in Israel and fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament made to David through the Davidic covenant and made also through the prophet Isaiah saying that the root of Jesse, the son of David, would have an eternal king and rule forever. So the text just sort of mentions it haphazardly, but in that, embedded in that, is, is this reality that God's been promising this all along. And so he, he, he comes to this version in verse 28, and he said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So here in the announcement to Mary, the first thing that Gabriel announces is God's love for Mary. He says, the Lord is A, with you. Mary, you, you thought you were alone in the town of Nazareth? You thought, you, you, I'm like just this teenage girl, she's maybe 13, 14 years old, you thought you were alone in the town of Nazareth and nobody sees you, nobody cares about you, you're, you're from podunk nowhere? Nobody, nobody thinks twice about you as a young girl. But the Lord is with you. He sees you. And not only that, but look at his heart towards you. You have found favor with God. He said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Not only does God see you and love you, but he wants to give you a gift. Mary, God wants to do something in you and through you, something you hadn't even thought of, calculated, envisioned. You had no idea what God has planned for you. 
He announces God's love for Mary. And then he announces God's promise to Mary. That promise begins in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay. I just, for a minute, I just want to put, put yourself in the, in the shoes of this young girl. Okay, think about this. Angel Gabriel, he shows up. And, and Gabriel says, okay, hi, first of all. Second of all, don't be scared. <laughs> right? Third, the Lord is with you. He's right here. He sees you. He knows you. Thirdly, God wants to bless you. You found favor. Right? He wants to do something in and through you you didn't even think about or calculate. You're going to conceive. Okay, you're going to have a baby. And he'll be a son. Okay, now think about that. God was into gender reveals long before they were popular. Right? He's like got the little blue cannon off to the side. He's like, it's a boy. Right? You're going to conceive. You're going to bear a son. Okay. 14-year-old Mary. That's right. We're in her head right now. I'm going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. And I didn't need 3D imaging to tell me that. This is miraculous. This is the thing that nobody else really has the privilege of experiencing except by divine revelation in that time. And I've got a name picked out for him. Call him Jesus. Now, we would, most of us, I think, never name our kid Jesus because it would feel very presumptuous, <laughs> right? Uh, unless you're from a Spanish family, then you got Jesus, right? And then, and then you, you, can, you can name him that, and that's socially acceptable. But if you're walking around with your son, hey, this is my son Jesus, that like says something about your personality right off the bat. Everybody gets who you are. Right? But in those days, the name Jesus was actually very common. It's the, the name Joshua. It's the Greek form of the name, the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. Now, hidden in the Old Testament are the, all these really cool little nuggets because the name Yeshua actually means salvation in the Hebrew. So when you, you read in the Psalms, God is my salvation, literally in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh is my Yeshua, my salvation. Oh, man, there's some cool little nuggets that are just tucked away, just the Old Testament, just pregnant with all kinds of, 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 of allusions to what God has been preparing the world for, the advent of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. So, Mary, we're in her head. Sorry, ADD. The Lord is with you. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive. You'll bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. And he will be great. Okay, that's the, every mom wants to hear that about their kid. 
you, you hate to have the angel that shows up and it's like, your kid's going to be a loser. I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I came to tell you this. He's going to suck at life completely. I'm really sorry. Um, he says he, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Think about this for a minute. He's going to be called the son of the most high of God. Now, throughout church history, you know, people have argued about the identity of Jesus. Was he a man who became God in the minds of his followers or, you know, the historical figure of Jesus? Was he really divine? Right here in the text, firsthand account, Luke interviews Mary, the mother, and right off the bat, the angel says to Mary, he's going to be the son of the most high. He's going to be divine. It's just right there, right? And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. There it is, messianic promise. He's going to be the Messiah that God has promised. He's going to be the one that God's been saying would come. All of history has been leading to this moment. Every passage of scripture, every promise God has been making since the very beginning, from, from the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent to the child of Abraham who would... Who would be uh, a descendant of Abraham who would be a blessing to all the nations, to the prophet like Moses, to the, the son of David, every promise of the Old Testament, it's happening. Messiah's here. Kingdom is here right now. Mary, do you see it? Do you see what's happening? Look what God is going to do through you. He'll be given the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Ever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now think about how Mary heard this. What? Me? I get to be a part of this. Like, I get to bring the Messiah. I get to be the, the one who sort of launches the kingdom and the Messiah, now remember, she hasn't read the gospel. She doesn't know what's coming. All of this is new information being revealed by Gabriel in this moment. God announces his love for Mary, his promise to Mary, and his plan through Mary. And then God announces his provision for Mary, verses 34 to 38. And, and Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I've never, I've never known a man. And the angel answered to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There it is again. He's going to be divine. You don't need a man for this. God's got something special. Again, let's step out of our story for a moment to think sort of big picture biblical theology, right? God has been whispering about this into humanity throughout the ages. And now that this moment is here, think about what that does for his heart. It's like, oh, I've been waiting to tell you about this. And you know, if, for those of you who are parents, you know, think about like Christmas morning. You got that one special gift for, for the, the kid, right? The kid that you know is going to react in a very overreacting way, Right? How you think about like, oh, this is going to be good. Get your camera ready. <laughs> this is going to be so awesome. He's going to freak out when he sees this, right? 
That is the moment for God. He's like, I've been talking about this and talking about this and talking about this. And then, and then I created 400 years of silence so that everybody would turn their attention inward and go, okay, what is going on? Does God care? Does he see? And now, boom, this is the moment. This is happening. My son's here. How much joy I must have brought to the heart of the Father. So, God announces his provision for Mary. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. He will be called Holy, the Son of God. Then in verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, so here's, here's what's happening. Little 13, 14-year-old Mary has just been told she's going to have a miraculous pregnancy. The baby in her womb is going to be the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the, the new Messiah who, who establishes God's forever kingdom. I think maybe she's going to wrestle with that a little bit. Like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that look like? And, you know, it's not like instantaneous. She's like, and, oh, Look, I'm pregnant, right? Like there's a period of time where, like, am I pregnant? Did I, did I really see what I thought I saw? Was I, maybe I, you know, I had a bad pizza or maybe, you know, something went wrong. And, 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 but no, God says, no, I'm going to give you confirmation here. I want you to know your relative, Elizabeth, who's, who's old, you know her, right? She's, she's way past the childbearing age. She also has born a son. She's pregnant right now. So here's the sign. And, and, and then in verse 37, it says, for, for nothing will be impossible with God. What he's saying there is, if God can do this for Elizabeth, surely he can do this in and for and through you. That's what's happening. Confirmation, right? So he announces God's love to Mary, God's promise uh, love for Mary, God's promise to Mary, God's plan through Mary, and God's provision. Now, though the details are not given, verse 38 tells us that Mary yielded in that moment. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Gabriel leaves. Mary surrenders. She says, okay, whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do through me, do it. I'm, I'm serving the Lord. God, God owns me. He has all of me. He has the freedom to do whatever he wants through me. Okay, I yield. Whatever you want to do, God. Right? And at that moment, or sometime after that, we don't, we're not given the details, the word of the angel came to pass, and Mary is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And becomes pregnant. Now this sacred moment is the moment that God waited for for so long. It was planned before the foundations of the world. It's been promised over and over again in every situation. It's been recorded in the scriptures. The painter now has placed himself on the canvas. The creator has now become a part of the creation. 
Think about that reality. In that moment, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit calls to mind what we've been learning in the book of Genesis. You remember how the earth was without form and void and and the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Like all of the potential for life is there and the Spirit of God is moving, about to bring life from what is lifeless. Think about that moment at Mount Sinai When God descends upon the mountain and Moses goes up and the weight, the kabod, the Shekinah glory of God shrouds the mountain in his presence. Mary is there and God covers her with his presence and the divine son, God incarnate, creator, enters into creation and becomes a part of the story. Great is the mystery of the incarnation. And Mary says, I'm your servant. Do what you want through me. In this moment, God has come down. In verses 39 to 45, we see the confirmation for Mary. Mary, no doubt, is wondering whether or not she's just been on a a, a bad mushroom trip or something, right? Like, what happened? Is this a vision real, right? And now she comes down, says, okay, I, I, I have this anchor point for whether or not this is real, whether or not this was just all in my head. The anchor point is that Elizabeth is pregnant, which is pretty miraculous. So she, she leaves her house in Nazareth and begins to make her way to the hill country in Judah. In verse 39, in those days Mary went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah, and she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So uh, Elizabeth gives to Mary confirmation that the promise is true, but also compassion. Because remember, by yielding to God's plan in this, Mary is going to have to endure all kinds of shame. There's going to be questions about the legitimacy of her birth and whether or not, you know, she's done something sinful or wrong. Her reputation is all on the line because to bear the Son of God is going to cost her every sort of, you know, every sort of valuable point of, of, rep, of having a reputation in a, in a small town, now, all of that is going to be called into question right now. And so when she goes to Mary, or when she goes to Elizabeth, she's going to not only receive confirmation, but also comfort because Elizabeth is also miraculously pregnant, right? And they're going to be able to share this together without judgment because Elizabeth will also know that this is the Lord in this. So, Mary arrives. She makes a trip from Nazareth to Judah, not really knowing what to expect. Then we see the response here of Elizabeth. We see, Mary, we see Mary's arrival and Elizabeth's revival. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We see Elizabeth's revival here. John, the unborn prophet, still in the womb of his mother at six months along. All of a sudden, John begins rejoicing in the presence of the Savior. (laughs) Now, this is such a comfort, I think, to to those who have miscarried, to, to mothers of babies, that even in the womb, from the womb to the tomb, that, that life is capable of responding to the presence of God. Here, John the Baptist leaps at the presence of Jesus, and, and he, he just begins rejoicing, kicking. He's having a little Pentecostal hoedown in the belly of his mother, Right? They were slain in the spirit. All kinds of stuff was happening. I don't know. But as he does so, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She begins to prophesy. Instantaneously, she knows that it's, it's the Messiah. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she prophesies over Mary with instant supernatural knowledge. She says, you're blessed. You're pregnant. Your child is the Lord. My baby knew it too. (laughs) And Mary, you believed God's promises. You're so blessed. You believed his promises. Now, there's sort of a slight in here towards her husband, towards Zachariah. Remember, Zachariah ended up having to be disciplined from the Lord because Zachariah wasn't quite sure about whether or not to believe the angel Gabriel. So the angel struck him with muteness. He wasn't able to speak. And so here it is. It's the happiest season of their lives. They finally get to have a kid. And, and, and Elizabeth can't talk about it to him. She's like, you know, he never talks to me. He never responds. I'm always telling him how excited I am. He has to write everything down. I just got to wait for the response as he's writing stuff down. But Mary, you believed what you heard. You trusted. And I'm so glad you're here because now we get to share this thing. I have somebody to talk to. My dumb, mute husband. (laughs) He just, he's no fun to talk to these days. (laughs) Mary believes and yields to the Lord. and, and, And Elizabeth says, you're blessed. For that. Notice Mary's faith played a role in this. One of the things that she gets noticed for, congratulated for, prophetically by Elizabeth here, is her faith. She's like, okay, I trust you, God. No matter what it costs me, reputation, whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever, no matter what it costs me, I trust you, do what you want in my life. She's yielded and trusting to the Lord. Well, in the next few verses from 46 to 56, we see the response of Mary. 
What it comes down to is just worship. And think about this. This is one of three songs in the opening two chapters of the book of Luke. The first, this one is called the Magnificat. These songs are called canticles, uh, which is a Latin term, just means song. Um, but there, there's this one called the Magnificat. Then there's the Benedictus at the end of Luke 1 in verses 67 to 80. That's Zachariah's song in response to the Messiah and the birth of his son. And then the Nunc Dimittis. The Nunc Dimittis. That's Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. Now, the words of the Magnificat come from numerous passages of the Old Testament. And the, the specific form and themes of Mary's uh, praise closely resembles that of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Remember, Hannah is the mother of the prophet Samuel, and she also was barren, unable to conceive, miraculously given a child, uh, and the child ended up being Samuel. And so Mary, knowing this, mirrors that song. It closely resembles uh, Hannah's song. Uh, but Mary, in this song, we, we come to know that Mary is actually very versed in the scripture. She really understands. There's, a, there's about 12 allusions to the Old Testament and different portions of scripture in the Old Testament throughout this, this song. And if you want to do a study sometime, that's a great way to, to maybe meditate through this passage is to find those Old Testament realities. But even though, here's the, here's the main thing I want you to see. Even though she is likely a young teen, she knows the word of God. She trusts the Lord and follows God. And Luke wants to bring us into the awareness of what a magnificent moment this is. I heard, I've heard it said that science tells us what the truth is, but art helps us to feel the truth. Art brings to light the weight of the truth. And if I could just encourage you, much as Luke here is recording a song that Mary wrote in response to this news, I would encourage you, if you're a creative, use your creativity as a form of worship. There's so many amazing things that God does through artistic expression, from sculptures to poetry to writing and uh, music and painting and digital art. There's just so many ways. I can't tell you how many times I, I, I've thought about a truth, but then I see it portrayed through, through a word picture in poetry, or I see it portrayed through, through some form of digital art or, or a sculpture or whatever, and the truth of that comes alive in such a powerful and meaningful way. It, it, it takes what is true and helps me to feel it down in the deepest parts of my heart. That's an act of worship. Well, here in this canticle, in the Magnificat, Mary is responding to this news in worship. She gets the confirmation that she needs from Elizabeth and she responds in worship. And, and so she, she starts out with praise. She responds, first of all, with praise. Uh, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, I'm fixated on God in this moment. I can't get over him. He seems so much bigger than how I thought of him before. It's like he sees me, little old me from Nazareth. It's like he, he wants to use me. I get to bring forth the Messiah. I get to be a part of God's plan. 
I can't believe it. God is so big in this moment. He's so magnified to me. And my spirit rejoices in God. And the, the thing that is happening in me is just this, bu- I can't even stop it. There's this bubbling up response inside of me that is just the pure joy of knowing that God sees and loves me, that he would want to use me in some way for his glory. And this, I mean, this is what I get to get used for. She responds with praise. She responds with humility. Notice here in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, my Savior. You know, in some parts of Christendom, Mary is exalted to a place of sinlessness. She's thought of as being somebody who was, you know, more perfect than the average person. Therefore, that's why she was able to bear Jesus as the Son of God. But right here, Mary says, God, my Savior. She recognizes her own need for salvation. She needed saving too. She's like, God brought me my Savior. My Savior. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. (laughs) She responds in humility saying, my Savior, I need him to save me. But also, my name will be great now, even though I'm just little old Mary from little old Nazareth. The least town in the least part of the world, the most forgotten. I'm like at the edge of forgotten, I crossed over. Right? But now everybody's going to think about me. <laughs> everybody's going to remember who I am. I can't believe you did this for me. And then she says, Now my name will be great. Verse 49 For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. My name will be great, but his name will be holy. Right? I get, to, I get to share in this honor, but his name will be holy in response to this. This is, this is incredible stuff. She responds in humility and she responds with hope. She goes on to say in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She says, first of all, from generation to generation. She's saying, look, from the beginning of the world, from generation to generation, God has shown himself merciful, and he's continuing to show himself merciful. But not only that, but also in this story, we have seen generations of people affected. Mary, this 13 to 14-year-old girl, hears from the Lord, is used by the, God, by the Lord to, to deliver the Messiah. Elizabeth, who is old is being used to bring about the forerunner. And she's heard from the Lord. And Zechariah, they're, they're both old. 
And John the Baptist, this unborn baby in the womb, is leaping at the presence of the Savior and responding. From the womb to the tomb, every stage of life is capable of response to God. Able to respond to who God is. Now, here's the most amazing thing about that. Yeah, I did youth ministry for a while. And I... I, I I can think of several examples and even people close to me of, of, of people saying, hey, I know, I know what's true, but when I, when I get older, I'll get serious about, about following Jesus. I'll get serious about being used by God. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? There's no limit on when God can use you. God can use an infant. God can use John the Baptist while he's still in the mother's womb. And then, then there's other people that I've run into that are, that are in their retirement years. And they're like, I'm just sort of coasting, you know. I'm like landing the plane here, right? I'm like, no. Now's the time when you, you flip the afterburner on and you kick it into high gear because you're not constrained by work or any of these other things. Now is the time to serve Jesus with all your heart, to lay it all on the line. Brother, sister, you are about to cross the finish line. That, that, that's about to happen. Now's not the time to slack off. Now's the time to kick it in, right? And finish strong. And then you have this teenage girl who's like, here I am, Lord. I'm yielded to you. Listen, for those of you who have young kids, remind them, encourage them. Now is your time to be used. Share the gospel now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit now. Grow as a disciple now. Start out your life now following Jesus. You don't have to wait for anything. Now is the moment where you can be used by God. Well, from generation to generation, God has shown his mercy and age is never a limitation of following Jesus. God wants to live in and through us in every stage of life. Then she goes on to say... He is making the world right. He scatters the proud. He brings uh, down the mighty from their thrones. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry. He humbles the rich. He is helping his people. He is keeping his promises to Abraham. It's like God is doing everything he said he would do. He's making the world right, and it's happening right now. The kingdom and the king are here. This is it. This is that moment. She just, just bubbling up praise comes welling up from within her as she acknowledges what God is doing in and through her life. So the question is, like, so what? What, what? what did it mean to her? What did it mean to Mary? What does it mean to us? Well, first of all, means this, that God came down to fulfill his promise. Born of a woman, his promise to Eve in Genesis 3.15. He'll be of the nation of Israel, promised to Abraham, Genesis 12.3. Of the tribe of Judah, his promise to Judah in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12. Of the royal family of David, his promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Again and again and again, God has made promises, and guess what? He made good on his promises. Hey, did you know right now we're living in a time of promise? Right now, at this moment. Jesus is coming in the second advent, part two. Right? New heavens, new earth. 
kingdom has been inaugurated right now. But it's going to be fulfilled at the second advent. It'll be consummated in that moment when Jesus comes again. God keeps his promises. Second thing that Mary realized is that God had sent a savior for her sins. Jesus, whose name means salvation. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, in conversation with an angel, the angel says, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that the child will be Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. What did it mean to her? That God keeps his promises. God wants to save people from their sins. That God wants to reveal who he is. Here in our text, in verse 32, we're told that he will be the son of the Most High. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, tells us that, that Jesus is the exact image and imprint of God's divine nature. If you want to know what the Father is like, you look at Jesus. How does he respond to sin? How does he respond to pride? How does he respond to humility? What does it look like in his care for others, the poor, the downtrodden, the sick? How do he make disciples? What, 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 what is God's heart? You want to know what God's heart is? Look at Jesus. He reveals to us the Father, and the Father can be known. What did it mean to Mary? Mary? It meant that God keeps his promises. God saves his people from their sins. That the Father has been revealed. It also meant that the kingdom has been inaugurated. The timeline of the Bible and of history and of the world is headed to one glorious end. Right now, guys, guys, I just got to hear, I got to say this, side note. Everybody's freaking out right now over the latest tragic news. How high are the counts and should we wear masks and does the governor have the powers that the governor claims to have and who's going to be the next president and what in the world is going to happen and what about the economy? Everybody's freaking out about everything. And and for good reason, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. 2020 is, like, it's not the average year, right? Okay, but but I I wonder, I wonder, though, what would happen if if we backed up from it all for just a moment, took a deep breath and said, okay, God, but what are you doing right now? Our our attention is on who's occupying the Oval Office rather than who is on the throne in heaven. Our attention is is on all the elements and the latest fear over what the governor said rather than on what God has said he would do in every circumstance. All of history is careening right now to a moment in which God will redeem the earth. And, and, and brothers, sisters, if I could just encourage you to back up from the drama of it all and begin to shift your focus, begin to look and go, okay, Lord, you have the world's attention right now. Never before in history has one entire planet been unified and going, what is going on? Can you think of a moment 
that there is more potential than right now for us to be used? The whole world is in confusion. The whole world is in fear. And we bring the gospel of peace. What an incredible thing. The kingdom has been inaugurated. The sun has come. What do I mean to Mary? God keeps his promises. He saves his people from their sins. Now we can know the Father. The kingdom has been inaugurated and the Son has arrived to make war. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute. That sounds a little bit more militant than what my progressive heart can deal with. Yes, I get it. But I, I want you to think about something. You know, back in World War II, most people know that one of the most decisive moments of history was the, the day that the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and went to confront the Nazi threat. But did you know that that wasn't actually the first offensive? The first offensive actually happened previous to that when Allied forces parachuted infantrymen behind enemy lines into the thick of Nazi territory to cut off supply lines. That's actually the, the decisive moment that took place. And right now, here's what's happening. <laughs> here's what's happening. God parachuted his son behind enemy lines. He's there to stomp the, dev- the devil, to crush his head, just like he promised to do, to, to beat the power of sin and of death by using death as his own instrument. The Son of God has been parachuted in to creation to launch an offensive that would undo everything that sin has broken. Oh, man. The Son has come to make war. Because God came down, we're free from the power of sin and death. Because he came down, salvation is being guaranteed to all who trust that Jesus fulfilled his mission Because he came down, our battle with the enemy is secure. He loses. Because God came down, the world is not careening out of control. It's headed right on target to where God has destined it to. And because God came down, we are the people of God under the rule of King Jesus bringing the good news of God's good rule to the world. And maybe today we should seek to have a heart like Mary. Say, God, in this circumstance, I don't see all the angles, but I yield to you in this. Be it done to me according to your word. How can I be used in this? You got a global pandemic? Awesome. God, show me where my place is in this. Show me how to preach comfort and encouragement and talk about the reality of what comes after death. Talk about eternity, not just life here. People are freaked out, freaked out about who's in the Oval Office. God, help me to proclaim peace through the King of Kings who sits on an eternal throne that can never be taken away. God, use me. I'm your servant. Do what you want in and through me.
Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we right now ask you to refresh our hearts with this perspective. Lord, keep us from falling into the trap of fear. The fear that paralyzes us in some cases or causes us to fight in other cases or to flee in other ways. Cause us to walk in your perfect peace as we keep our mind focused on you. Father, you are in control. And like Mary, we long to be your people yielded to you and your purpose in such a way that we bring who you are to the world. We are your instruments, God. Use us. We are your servants. Have your way in us. We yield to your hand. Show us the purpose for which you have gained global attention. Help us to see your hand in it all, God. We love you. We thank you for your word and the way that it comforts and directs our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.